Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. This week, we are in Serbia, where earlier this month, something happened that normally doesn't happen there. Two back-to-back mass shootings. Local media report a gunman opened fire from a moving vehicle at passers-by in three villages just 60 kilometers from the capital, killing and injuring villagers. This is the second mass killing in the Balkan nation in two days. On Wednesday, a 13-year-old boy shot dead eight of his classmates and a security guard with his father's guns. Outside of Serbia, the violence and the government's response has drawn a lot of comparisons to the gun control debate in the United States. But inside the country, the conversation's been about way more than that. Tens of thousands of people have been taking to the streets, calling for an end to what they describe as a normalization of violence. The message of this rally today is that we want to live in a country without violence, without violence against women and children, and in general, in a more stable, peaceful country. The protesters blame the media and the current government, which is made up of many of the same people who were in charge during one of the country's darkest chapters. Serbia used to be part of former Yugoslavia, a federation of six republics. And for much of the 90s, this part of the world was at war. Some of the republics tried to get independence and ethnic Serbs spread throughout Yugoslavia pushed back under the leadership and backing of Serbian president Slobodan Milosevic. Milosevic was a nationalist who wanted to see a greater Serbia that would include areas where Serbs lived in Bosnia, Croatia, and Kosovo. In the West, he became known as the Butcher of the Balkans. Disturbing reports today out of the Serbian province of Kosovo were that a mass grave had been found. Ethnic Albanians said hundreds of people were buried here, victims of a massacre by Serb forces. The conflict only ended after a brutal three-month bombing campaign by NATO, aimed at getting Milosevic to withdraw his forces from Kosovo. On March 24, 1999, Western nations carried out their threat against Serbia and began the biggest military conflict on Serbian soil since World War II. But what began as an attack on military targets soon expanded. Schools, monuments, homes and even the Chinese embassy were hit. At the end of the campaign, 11 weeks later, Human Rights Watch estimates around 500 civilians were killed. This week, I'm talking to Alexandra Kristic about what's been happening in Serbia. She's one of the many people calling for the government to do something about what she says is a pervasive culture of violence. She's a former journalist and now teaches journalism and media studies at the University of Belgrade. 
I'm Tamara Kendacker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Hi, Alexandra. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi. Hello. Alexandra, I wanted to start with the incidents that triggered the protests that we've been seeing for the last little while. What was it like to hear about that first mass shooting at the school? When the first shooting occurred, I was preparing for the discussion and the television production uh, for our students' television show. Um, So actually, I panicked, really. I panicked. I wanted to go out and to take care of my 15-year-old who was at the school at just across the town. And a lot of us were not only shocked, but we were not really aware of how this was serious and what what actually happened because we were uh, hearing different kinds of information and we were mostly informed through tabloid coverage, which fueled um, unchecked information, a lot of disinformation. Uh, We read sensational coverage. I think I clicked every single news online I could have found then. And even the police leaked the, the paper with other children's names on the list of a 13-year-old murderer. So parents started to panic and um, the society started to demand answers. We realized this is not America, but we wondered, have we become one after so many years of experience in, for example, bloody wars during the 1990s, the conflicts in the region, and we wondered what was going on. It's just horrific. I can't imagine what it's like to deal with that as as a parent. And like you said, this is not something that normally happens, obviously. Um, but the Serbian government reacted pretty quickly. And Serbia's President Aleksandr Vucic vowed to completely disarm the country. More than 6,000 unregistered guns and weapons have already been turned in after the government announced a month-long amnesty on illegal weapons. Nearly 300,000 rounds of ammunition have also been surrendered. That response has gotten a lot of praise internationally, but it sounds like inside the country, lots of people have been saying it's not enough. And tens of thousands of people have been in the streets protesting. You've been at these demonstrations. So what is it that people are asking for? Well, uh, definitely it is not enough. Uh, The deaths of children and um, other victims in two mass shootings in only two days at the beginning of May triggered the whole society, us ordinary people, to demand from the state authorities to deal with the overwhelming violence which has been for quite some time in the society. And we wanted actually to search for the answer of what caused the atmosphere we live in. Immediately after the mass shootings, people and the part of opposition parties took to streets demanding several important things. It is the removal of television licenses of two national television stations that aggregate violence through reality programs and other TV shows. I'm here to demonstrate solidarity against the pervasive violence in the media, in parliament and in daily life. Everything has come to a head. This is the last straw and all we want is change not just of the regime, but of the whole system. But for that to happen, the media must be free and the government must be brought down. Then the resignation of the Minister of Education and the Minister of Police and the Chief of Intelligence uh, Agency as they have been held responsible. 
And the last one is the resignation of the Council of the Regulatory Body for Broadcasting Media, which has also been held very responsible for not doing its job. So we have been protesting for almost a month now. So far, Minister of Education resigned. Right. So so it does sound like there's been some movement on these demands. And let's just get into some of these briefly. Obviously, there's a lot of anger towards the media. A lot of people are saying the media is largely to blame for what happens because it's normalized and perpetuated this culture of violence. And I just want to try to understand what that means. Um, but before we get into what people mean by that, can you just give us a sense of what mainstream media looks like in Serbia and who controls it? What does the landscape look like there? Absolutely, yes. The, uh, so uh, press freedom has been in decline for a decade uh, now in Serbia. Mainstream media are under uh, the control of um, the president, the government, the ruling coalition. There are only a few media where opposition voices actually can be heard. And you have to know that television has been still a primary and dominant source of information for majority of our citizens. And that's why it is very important for all of us. So um, television stations which um, have national frequencies very often invite uh, really um, some nationalists or um, even war criminals to discuss various topics, uh, therefore boosting nationalistic discourse, propaganda, etc. So violence is spread uh, not only through reality programs, but also it is spread through our parliament. We can hear a lot of hate speech from ruling coalition members of the parliament towards political opposition, and it's spilled over in tabloid press and in pro-government television stations. There is awareness in the public that the media have been controlled by the state. For those people who are watching uh, the news provided by only a few cable TV stations that are actually critical of government. And for the majority of people who are watching the news, which are pro-government and controlled by the government, I don't think they are aware of that. These reality shows that keep coming up at these protests, can you just tell me a bit about those? Are they dating shows or competition shows? What exactly are we talking about here? Uh, we are talking about people living under the same roof in one place, and they have been acting upon a scenario of various verbal quarrels, attacks, etc., etc. So they are basically living under one roof and doing nothing, you know, so... So they have to make up quarrels and they have to do that for the rating and for profit making, right? I was reading about one example of, uh, of a Serbian reality show where there was this contestant who was kind of regularly beaten and humiliated by, by other contestants and uh, the production team basically refused to let him go. They put him in solitary confinement. Is that the kind of behavior that you're talking about? Yes, exactly. And not only not only that kind of behavior, but also participants attacking each other, even men attacking women, criminals attacking other people there. So we are talking about very serious physical violence. Wow. And there are no consequences for this because the regulatory body for electronic media, which is uh, supposed to take care of this and to, you know, flag uh, red alarms for those television stations to 
uh, take responsibility. Uh, the body, the regulatory body, it's simply not doing its job. They are just, you know, they are very quiet, very, very quiet. You also mentioned these personalities that are brought onto the news to comment on various issues. And can you just give me some examples of questionable personalities and what kinds of things they say? What kind of ideas do they promote? Well, yes, the, I have to say, you know, these are, this is when we talk about this, we have to talk um, about the, uh, everything is a consequence of the conflicts um, during the 90s and the war in the region. And it's still resonating in public sphere. And of course, through the television coverage, although we have talked a lot about reconciliation in the past couple of decades. So, uh, for example, those television stations uh, sometimes invite or often, some of them are often inviting people who were involved in the conflicts during the 19s, then went to Hague. Former Bosnian Serb army commander Ratko Mladic who is serving a life sentence for war crimes and genocide, dialed into a morning breakfast show on Serbia's privately owned entertainment channel Happy TV, sending his love to the nation from prison. <laughs> they were indicted for crimes and then they got back in the country and suddenly they became a kind of, you know, television heroes or prominent interviewees that comment the the atmosphere we live in and some of them were even invited to comment the mass shootings you know so we have criminals talking about these terrible events which have occurred in serbia and i guess the reason we're seeing these people being given platforms as commentators is that the media is largely controlled by the state we have uh, the people in the government and the people who have power in the ruling coalition right now are practically the same people who were involved in uh, the government and uh, the politics of the 90s, where we had wars and conflicts, etc. So our current president was the minister for media information during NATO bombing in 1999 under the Milosevic regime. Right. And uh, his ruling coalition partners from the Socialist Party of Serbia nowadays are the same people who were uh, their partners back uh, in the 1990s. So uh, we have a lot of consequences uh, back from that period of time. Actually, politically, nothing has changed. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Grab your VIP pass. 
We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1 Back at Base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. A lot of what we're talking about today, the media culture, the politicians in power, even the number of guns in Serbia, that's kind of a product of a very dark period in the country, which was the Balkan Wars in the 1990s. And for people who don't know much about that, what happened during that time that you think is still being felt today? Well, you know, I think that um, a lot of um, the tragedy happened in the region. A lot of, I don't know, every single, every single family here in Serbia and in the region has someone injured or killed during the conflicts of war. The society, of course, was uh, the victim of the Milosevic politics, the authoritarian regime, which actually isolated the country. The country was isolated from the world for a decade. The genocidal crimes of the 1990s Balkan Wars stunned the world. Mass killings, concentration camps, systematic rape. Many, but by no means all the perpetrators, were the majority Serbs, starting with Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic. I was only a kid back then uh, during the 90s. Uh, but um, I was more aware in when in 1996 and in 1997 when the students' protests began against Milosevic on the street, led by the uh, very uh, few opposition parties back then. And I was uh, just finishing my high school, so we took the streets along with students, and those were massive protests that lasted three years. We wanted to say, you know, it's enough with Milosevic, but it lasted for several years. So he wasn't removed from power immediately. So the protests were in 1996, 1997. And then we had a lot of things going on in uh, the southern Serbia part of Kosovo, which is, has still been a very, very big and very serious issue. In the Kosovar village of Hračak on January 15th, 1999, Serbian-led security forces drove dozens of civilians out of their homes and marched them into the wooded mountains next to the village. There, international prosecutors say they killed 45 ethnic Albanians in a massacre that would change the course of the Kosovo War. Yesterday you have had a lot of uh, things going on there, so it's kind of a a very, um, a very serious thing that we have to uh, deal with um, nowadays as well. During the 90s and the conflicts, we also had another very big traumatic event here, and it was the NATO bombing of Serbia in 1999. I continue to believe that this campaign is the most accurate, precise military campaign in the history of human conflict. <laughs> For these Serbs, though, that claim could only have been absurd. They were attending a mass funeral for victims of NATO bombs that Belgrade says killed 20 civilians yesterday in a hospital and retirement home in southern Serbia. So we were bombed for Milosevic authoritarian politics, and I have to say that we suffered a lot. So on a personal level, I was 20 then. I just started my university education, journalism. I spent three months with the whole nation 
in the basement, in shelters, or, you know, protesting on, on a street. So after the bombing was over, it left us all very damaged, very, very traumatic, you know. It was a very traumatic event. So the next year, in October 2000, we took the streets to remove Milosevic from power. So the 5th of October of that year provided us a little hope that we could live in democracy, to be free. So we've talked about Serbia's history, but why is that coming up right now? What is the connection that people are making between that violent period and the mass shootings that we just saw? It has been a violence we have been surrounded by for 30 years now. And it's different kind of violence. So it was not only the physical violence, the violence that we were exposed to during the 1990s, but it, it became, you know, uh, spread it to, uh, through um, the, the mainstream media, through online media. It actually invaded our parliament. It invaded our public space. It is the normalization of violence, that it became normal to be surrounded by violence and not to react to it. Because this is the first thing that we talked about when I interviewed, for example, journalists uh, two years ago for, for my research about the violence and the harassment of journalists in Serbia. They said, I don't see any kind of violence because I'm, I got used to it. It's normal. It's part of my job to get attacked by pro-government officials. So we became, um, how do you say this, uh, when you drink a lot of same medication and you don't react to it anymore? How do you say this in English? I guess, yeah, resistant or building up a tolerance. Yeah, we became resistant and we came, we, it, the violence became really tolerated. And we want to protest that. We want to say, it's enough, you know, let's make this uh, society better. And so people have been calling for Vucic's resignation and he's stepped down as leader of the Serbian Progressive Party, but he says he's going to stay on as head of state. You also mentioned they're calling for some other ministers to resign. So do you think that this has evolved to become about more than just the mass shootings? Yes, this has evolved, um, definitely evolved, because the mass shootings were uh, the trigger for uh, the protests. It's not the official demand for the president to resign. It's something you can hear people shouting on the street that uh, we want the president to resign and other uh, politicians we hold responsible, we ask for their resignation. We have elections and this is the things that we have to focus on, that we need to see what are we supposed to do after a month or two months of being on the streets. Uh, the opposition leaders will need to think more, uh, more seriously about this thing and um, what are they going to do with this kind of energy and potential. I'm not sure what will come out from this, but um, I hope that um, that some things will will change. What do you hope on a personal level, just as someone who grew up 
in Serbia and who's lived through so much conflict and so much transformation, what do you hope to see for your country in the aftermath of these shootings and the response to them? I hope to see um, safe society, um, the society uh, which lives in in freedom. So I'm talking about different freedoms, freedoms of expression, freedom of media, freedom of movement, freedom of assembly. I want this society to be um, safe uh, for my kid, for other children here. Uh, I want to have free media that we can uh, see the platform for dialogue, for different debates on our not only public broadcasting service, but on other TV stations. Um, I would like to see the healthier society led by people who take care of people and not who are only fighting for their power and doing everything in their power to remain in the government or on the positions they have right now. I really would want to see um, some kind of political and social change and, of course, economic change and uh, the society who is living in in a more peaceful society. And I really want that for my kid. I mean, we decided to stay because we want to live in this country, um, but um, I'm not sure if I see that for my child. I, if nothing happens, then um, there is nothing we can do. We have, we have to consider other options. I really, I'm not really optimistic, but I hope for, for a change. I'm not sure it will happen. Okay, I think that's all for me. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for inviting me, and I hope you can take <laughs> some points from this interview. Thanks a lot. Earlier in our conversation, Alexandra brought up how you can still see political tensions from the 90s coming up in the present day. She's talking about the violent clashes we've seen in northern Kosovo over the last few days, with ethnic Serbs who make up the majority of the population there on one side and Kosovo's police and NATO peacekeepers on the other side. It all started when Serbian demonstrators tried to block newly elected Albanian mayors from taking office. Serbs had boycotted the election back in April, and the results are disputed. Since Monday, dozens of people have been injured, and on Tuesday, NATO announced it'll be sending another 700 troops to the area. Kosovo declared its independence in 2008, and while Canada, the US, and most EU countries recognize it, others don't, and neither do Russia, China, or Serbia. This is a developing story, and we're going to keep following it. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer this week is Yvette Sin, and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.